Dr. Aaron Clare. Hey. Professor of, of English, uh, associate professor, right? Yes. Okay. Well, um, how long have you been teaching? Well, I've been at Tech since 2006, and then I've been teaching college since 2002. You know, ironically, and I don't even think that he knew you were coming on, but Warnick was just on, Dr. Warnick. Yeah, I love him. And uh, I guess that you and he and Dr. Ashwin all started teaching at Tech like the same year, and you were adjuncting? Yes, I was. um, How long did you adjunct for? Um, Let's see. I adjuncted for two years. Uh, David had my husband had gotten the position um, right when he was done with his PhD, which is really rare, especially in theater. And um, I still had this sweet fellowship. Oh, and I gave it up to adjunct. So I adjuncted for two years, and then a position opened for a visiting um, assistant professor. What, is, what does visiting mean, out of curiosity? I saw that on there. Yeah, yeah that means that um, a tenure track line is opened, but they're not going to fill that spot right away. So... Uh, for various different reasons maybe it's too late in the year or something like that mm. or they're not sure if they are ever going to fill that line so they'll do a visiting for a one-year contract so it's not um, a tenure track means that that is a a line that's going to continue on and visiting is not yeah yeah that's uh, i was talking with because uh, i thought that billy reader was like a phd and he's like, oh, I just got my master's. Yeah. And I'd, uh, Mr. Harrington, too, he came on the podcast. And they were yeah. both telling me, like, yeah, we just happened in these tenure track spots. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. So, um, but that's, I, I started adjuncting as well, mm-hmm. um, which I only had my master's. So, mm-hmm. I, like, uh, so w- where did you and David meet? Like, at what point of the, because uh, you went, uh, and where is... Western Reserve. Case Western Reserve University. That's in Cleveland. I should have Googled it. Yeah, at this side I would ask you. Ugh. You More did. researching skills, Brian. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, well, that, Jeff yeah. Woods, he, he went to PhD school in Ohio. I don't, yes, I'm he sure, sure did. Insane. At the other end of the state. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah, that is in Cleveland, Ohio, and it's an engineering school. Uh, yeah, it's ranked, uh, I think, usually 30th or 31st in the nation um, overall wow. for, for uh, four-year institutions. And so... We were lucky to benefit from all the money of an engineering school, but we were in the liberal arts, which is a good place to be. We met our um, freshman year in creative writing class. Oh, wow. I always wanted to take that course. Like my good friend, Michael Booty, he's the English, one of the English professors at uh, Moralton, Mm -hmm. and he teaches that. But uh, Richie taught it when I was, and I wanted to take him. I never got, I took him for film and comp one and two, Mm -hmm. and I just, it never worked out. Yeah. I'm still yeah. sad about it. Well, we actually, uh, it's a, an amazing professor, Claudia Rankin, who was a visiting assistant professor that year. And she has since published um, wonderful works of poetry and scholarship on um, on uh, African-American uh, literature. And uh, she's phenomenal. And we met in her class. And it was a gift. We didn't know at the time, of course, because we were 18 years old, who we were studying with. And she transformed my life. I took her class in creative writing and then another one in Toni Morrison. And that set my course for my whole life. Yeah, isn't uh, I, I can't remark enough. I, Jeff Woods is one of those people for me. Mm-hmm. Like, because I, like, I was taking him at that point. I was a little older. I was like 23, 24 when I, mm-hmm. I like, decided I was going to go get a degree and just pursue history. Mm-hmm. And he was like the, one of the first people I worked with. I did independent study and I started taking his 
espionage class, as it was called. Now it's just called spies, which uh-huh. is way cooler. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like true mentors you pick yeah. up. And, and I just remarked to him several times, I'm like, do, do you know, like, what you were to me at the time and still are? Like, do you know how big of an impact you made? And now me teaching, I think about it like that. It's like done something for my empathy level with students. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I have to live up to him, Dr. DeBlag, and these people mm-hmm. that like invested in me, but they didn't have to. So yeah. it's, it's weird. Yeah, and it's one of those moments where everything shifted. Like, you know, you, Jeff Woods and I would talk a lot about this, these moments of um, epiphany where your whole world just turns. What do, you, do you think that is like you literally, I've thought about this, just as like I have a background in a little bit in philosophy. Dr. Bush was one of those people mm-hmm. for me too. But do you think that's maybe like a literal expansion of your consciousness? Yes, without a doubt. Like you, your worldview changes, so it becomes something small, and all of a sudden all these things open up that you couldn't see before until someone showed them to you. You weren't capable until that moment. And with Claudia Rankin, that happened. And I, I had to do something different with my life after that. And so that's where I met David. And so many things leading to that moment. I mean, I was from a, a small, underprivileged school, um, you know, far east side of Cleveland. And they don't let many people in to Case Western Reserve from that school. So I wouldn't have even applied had the application not been free because I didn't think I'd get in. I mean, they don't let many people in from my school. And they happened to let me in and give me the right type of scholarship. So if that hadn't happened, if I hadn't enrolled in Claudia Rankin's classes, I wouldn't have met David. I wouldn't become a professor. All these things. That that sort of equations, like when I do the math on like Corona's relationship, it's like it 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 will make you believe in fate and trajectory, Mm -hmm. and then you'll start questioning free will. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. But it's like man, like forces trying to keep us apart couldn't. Yeah. Or whatever. Like oh, if one thing would have been different, maybe this wouldn't have played out that way. What do you think about it? Because we like I said, like what I do like about working at community college Mm -hmm. is that like we turn no one away it creates some weird problems sometimes too honestly but we accept virtually anybody that applies like what if you wouldn't have got to go to that school like like what and like what you're saying like the stringent requirements or whatever like luckily you got accepted but Mm -hmm. that's like a barrier well and it is and for me there's so many people who's wouldn't have been helped in the way that I only I could help them um, and they're different schools for different people I would have been back home um, I'd had a fine life but I would have been working for the county like the rest of my family which had been a fine life but this was the path that I needed to be on and I needed to be at tech helping people who um, needed me more than at a different school where frankly they don't need me I needed yeah. to be in Arkansas. I didn't need to be in Ohio. I didn't need to be in New York. I need to be right where I am. I am um, like, what What do you think you're calling to the, like, uh, Neil was talking about this, Harrington. He's like, yeah, you know, I come from the North, so I got have this outside perspective. Mm-hmm. And people that aren't normally exposed to that perspective, or like my art in his case, it's like, mm-hmm. they notice, they're like, wow, you're really, but he's like, yeah, I notice things that you guys don't maybe notice or take for granted as a mm-hmm. Northern artist coming South or, or just like the spread of ideas, mm-hmm. like getting, I, um, have been a, down a civil war rabbit hole and like to see the ways that we're 
even the upper south is still very much lagging behind other parts of the country is yeah it's interesting well and the way i see it there's this idea in arkansas that we're somehow less than someplace else except mississippi that's <laughs> the idea that's the idea Sometimes my whole Louisiana life too yeah it depends, I know, it depends right? on the statistic um and and it's in various different ways it's in how students feel about themselves what they'll reach for um their expectations of themselves the arkansas stereotypical image like i it's actually i talk about that through the whole Arkansas history course. Mm-hmm. And that's something from the black, I think, but it's in the book, but it's like the Arkansas image. Mm-hmm. It's this weird sort of hillbilly, backward, rude, like mm-hmm. the, all the things that we get stereotyped into, like I address in the class and it's, it's. But when you teach in different places, Arkansas students, of course, are equally as capable. They're brilliant. They have um, different ideas that are actually um, much more uh, new, inventive than other places. And the other thing that's interesting is the idea of race, too, around here. There's this idea that it's more racist here than other places. And when you travel around, that is not the case. It is not. Racism functions differently in different places. But, oh, it is just as racist wherever you go. And so when you start traveling around this country and saying, oh, this place is worse, or here in Arkansas, or we have more to be ashamed of, that is not true. And I think I bring that perspective of having been someplace else and saying, no, there is so much valuable here. Just own what it is here. Celebrate it. Yeah. Build it up. Yeah, there, there is like a lot, I think, a sense of guilt mm-hmm. about things related to race or even the civil war Mm -hmm. or or what have you i had a guy on somewhat recently from virginia Mm -hmm. that like his grandma was apparently a character was trying to get him to like apply for this scholarship of like uh family members of southern veterans and and and, but he's also jewish Mm -hmm. was, was the complexity of the issue of like how one side of his family and was and the other one wasn't and I mean, I can't, I can't imagine being like on some of the border states of along these sectional lines of, mm-hmm. well, okay, so you got your PhD in Missouri, is that correct? Yes. And then you also went to Texas State. Mm-hmm. That's like three different worlds. Like you're like North, Upper South, Deep uh, South. Well, and well, Texas is a separate nation, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Star Republic. I've yeah. been reading a book called uh, Empire of the Summer Moon about the Comanche. Yeah. Apparently, I didn't ever knew this. This is guy's thesis, and I, I, I kind of researched a little bit, but they encouraged white settlement with the Austins to create a buffer against Comanche raids into mm-hmm. Mexico. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard that. No, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, well, what I think was different here, um, when you teach about race here, people in Arkansas are much more willing to think and talk about it. And that was not the case in Missouri. In fact, it was like, oh, racism doesn't exist. Like, just absolve yourselves of it. Now, that's much more difficult to teach if they, you'd never been challenged to think about race at all, as opposed, in, as opposed in Arkansas, where there are real issues, and they're aware of the real issues, so they're much more willing to engage and talk and That's debate. That's interesting about Missouri. Why do you think it's like that? I think that if you have a sense of entitlement, and it's built into you, and then the entitlement says that I've done nothing wrong, and I deserve certain things, 
then it's See, difficult. yeah, Missouri is fascinating because they were a slave state that did not secede mm-hmm. from the Union. Mm-hmm. That, I, like, uh, you start studying the Civil War in the Ozarks. That is, it's the Civil War in the Ozarks, like, nothing like it was in eastern Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there were some similarities, uh, but like night and day because it was all about Missouri with mm-hmm. the Ozarks and Northwest Arkansas. Yeah. Um, well, did you come hang out in Arkansas when you were posted up in, in Missouri? How far is that from like Northwest Arkansas? Oh no, we didn't come here a bit. No, we didn't come here until David got the job interview. So, um, and I didn't come till he got the job offer and I was like, well, this is where we're living and off you go. As academics, you're going to go where you get that job and that's yeah. where you live. <laughs> I tell people, like, I don't know how, I mean, I just was adjunct and they're like, hey, we had this guy retired like 30 years and won his job. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. And I applied and got it. But mm-hmm. that is not the norm. Mm-hmm. Like, I know a ton of people that have PhDs that like, oh, I wish I could get a job like oh, that. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. I have a friend up in Alaska and yeah, from Missouri. We went to grad school together and she lives in Anchorage now. You go where the job is yeah, and you're happy wow. you have it and you make that your home you and you say, okay, this is my community, and what's beautiful about it? At what point uh, did you get married in this Oh, process? five days after graduation from college. Yeah. That was always Corey and I's plan, and it was a little more at five days, but wait till after we get out of school, and I got, got out of grad school and mm-hmm. some other things. So, yeah, But I knew on my first date. I knew. Really? Well, I, I said, I said, I have, he is, I'm never going to meet anybody like him. He is the strangest character i've ever met when i told jeff woods the story he said oh he's a platypus <laughs> there's only one <laughs> that's <right>? funny <laughs> and i never thought of it that way yeah he's a platypus and i knew i said if i'm if i'm with this guy my life is going to be amazing I had him for speech. I, at the time, I didn't no. even know how to take him. I should. Have, I would like to have him on the podcast. I'm going to talk to him and see if he would would be interested. But I had him for speech, and I got it at the time. I got didn't even know how to take him. I was just like, yeah, this dude is like exuberant. Yeah, I mean, like the the exercises he would make us do. Like honestly, now. I, d- I would appreciate it so much more, but at the time I was like, "This is way out there." Yeah. Why am I doing this? Yeah, it's like I didn't there. get it, and then now I kind of do, and I feel bad that I didn't get it at the time. Oh, like, that's I didn't real ap- hard when you're young. I didn't appreciate <laughs> it while it was going on. Cora was in the same class, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah, he, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was, uh, and then ironically, now you guys see all the time. Yeah, he's, and so I knew. I was like, "This is." so different and he's an absolute genius in a way that nobody else is and and i was right i mean my life has been incredible in part because of who he is i mean it's also me too but you know we do it together um yeah well i mean i'm I'm friends with you both on on facebook and like honestly that's kind of like a avenue i gauge i'm like oh this person's super interesting i wonder if they want to come on the podcast and talk uh but because you're always posting kind of sharing like interactions with students and Mm -hmm. like things that i can like survey and be like okay yeah Yeah. i I need unless i sit down and talk with another professor or i always talk with the people in my you know life on campus whether Mm -hmm. they're english or whoever but it's nice to get perspective yeah now that because i'm just a year and a half in of doing this full time yeah, and yeah. 
now I'm like doing less content creation so I can I'm trying to refine in other ways like through like you do tons of service work I do and that comes with time it comes with time that blew my mind like and how you have it broke down like you're like departmental I'm just like man, I'm just trying to like get well, three committees under my belt you know yeah but that's that's a time thing I mean it's no comparison with that. Don't compare yourself because it's well, it's tied. inspiring though. I mean, to to see like okay, well, that's that's it's too like my resume is very modest. But I, if I updated it, it would be more than yeah. it was last time I updated it. Also, keep in mind that right now half my job is to work in administration, so it should look like that. What do you do? What are you doing right now other than teaching? So half my job is um, the title is director of college operations for college of arts and humanities. And so while some uh, colleges at tech have associate deans or assistant deans and uh, college of arts and humanities, we have that. So that's what I do. I serve in the same role as an assistant or associate dean. You were an interim dean, right? For a minute. For, for Are a you still second. now? No, no. I was acting dean over the summer between um, when Jeff Woods uh, stepped down and the interim dean could come into town. Who is who is going to be the dean now? Or is this another interim dean? No, the full-time dean is um, Jeffrey Cass. Our requirement was that they be named Jeff. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. No. <laughs> I already nicknamed him Jeff the Fourth. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna make him a sash just to wear it. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, so you probably work with this person all the time. Then, yes, huh? I do. Yeah, I wow. do. So the um, the dean is the um, official keeper of personnel records, and so all of those types of things that they have to do for like. Um, all of the 104 full-time faculty in the college, 114 part-time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you know, Dr. Tarver, um, I'm trying to do a podcast with him over this break. Yeah. I, w- I worked for him a lot. Mm-hmm. I was his GA for like three semesters um, and just did different things. But there was a file cabinet in his office that had like all the... Oh, that's still there. Yeah. yeah. Man. So that's what the dean does. And the assistant associate does not do that. We do a lot more with um, program development and assessment of um, programs. So I work a lot with general education. It's one of the main things I do. And then I do a lot of programs for faculty. Something we've started doing like do you guys may do this or what do you think about it like we we have to like report on what we assign students outside of class now Hmm. which like let's say uh, like that's why I have all of my books right here Uh, but basically I'm like okay there's 500 pages in the book the average time it takes somebody they gave us these averages let's say seven minutes to read a page or Mm -hmm is the the middle number between their range uh and then you just do the math and type it in the little box and yeah i have to do that for all my classes but um who was it kirkconnell when i was there he was all about that he's like one hour in class two hours outside of class one hour in class he would say it all the time mm-hmm. but now that's like our administration is uh like the faculty's doing that <clears throat> which like i don't really mind it and it, it kind of keeps you honest mm-hmm. but it seems to be sort of attached to general education and funding mm. based off of, I don't know. I don't know why we're doing it. Do you have to do it? No, we don't. <laughs> but we have different models that we work in. So we have a Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning. And we have a number of different approaches for how you can um, address the different issues that our students will have with their time, balancing their time in and out of the classroom. 
So we'll have different innovation techniques on what do you do inside the classroom to balance that time outside the classroom. And then we leave that up to the faculty after that or to the department and program level to decide. So across the campus, we don't decide that for the faculty, but we give them a number of tools and then we say, okay, within your individual programs, how are you gonna make this happen that's most effective? And then we ask them to assess how they're doing. So we have a whole um, institutional assessment model Mm -hmm. and then we oversee that. So we do less um, prescriptive assessment like that, but we have more of a guidance model. It's really, I mean, I'll need to update it or whatever, but it's almost like a one-time deal. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll move some assignments around and tweak things from semester to semester, but it's like I'm just going to change or add. Mm -hmm. What are some cool ways uh, you maybe use technology uh, for your students? Well, I just started this semester using a tool that I tried in Intro to Film called Top Hat, and that's a intro to films like 55 students it's a big class i loved that class yeah it's fun and one of the things we're finding with students is they have a really hard time even focusing during a film and this is just today's students is it you think it's the phones Mm, i Uh, think it's the brains even do you see a lot of that like during the yeah without a doubt and there's two ways you can go with that right you can say okay put your phones away and for a lot of them, it's going to give them anxiety. I never have said that. No, I'm just I, like, yeah. oh, you don't want to. Yeah, you know, I'm not. I'm not there to please students. I'm there to help them function better. So I'm like, okay, if this is an issue, and you're used to watching a movie at home or wherever and doing two things at once, why don't I just help you do that better? So, um, Top Hat will allow me to ask questions during the film, and they respond to them on their phone. Oh yeah, I've seen. Um I've seen some apps like that. Yeah, and so for this one, during the lecture, uh, it will be a response feedback. Like, I'll, I'll be giving the lecture, I'll ask them a question about the lecture, they respond on their phones, I can see if they understood, if they didn't, I go over it. And then during the uh, films themselves, I'll ask questions and I'll have to discuss about whatever technique I was just talking about in the lecture, they'll respond about it. I'll have real feedback during that while I'm watching how they're going through saying oh yeah they're getting it they're not and then i can say okay we didn't really see those concepts or you did or whatever what are you are you using like a tablet your computer like what are you using to oh your there's phone? a computer up there okay um so there's you know a dvd player computer blu-ray all of that do you run into um so is that like an app that they're using on their phones right? yeah yeah or do they can access it on computer whatever technology they have which I don't even think this, I think it would be such a, a, like, honestly, maybe a minority of people, but do, do you run into people that don't have a smartphone, don't have yeah. a tablet, don't have a laptop? We do have the ability to rent those out at our university for people who don't have that. That's that's awesome. Yeah. So we have some of those available through our computer services. Okay. Okay. That That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know some campuses, like, private institutions like U of O mm-hmm. um, I think they give all of their students iPads like some high schools have started going to that yeah, yeah. I think that's a I think it's a great idea and like uh, we were trying to make like a uh, bring your own device model mm-hmm. type of a thing but and and they're nixing some of the computer labs and yeah. that's been a lot of the professors are kind of like well what if they don't have a device like are we gonna 
And I met that at first, and I set that up with computer services to make sure there were some available, yeah, that's and, and it worked out just fine. And the other thing I let I have them do is um, they take some some of their quizzes in Teams, because what we find is when you're doing something like a multiple choice test, a lot of them just you know they guess, they move on, they don't learn anything from it. So when you have those quizzes that aren't worth a ton of points, mm-hmm. you have them debate those answers in their teams. They learn more from that ac- activity. Oh, that would be a great way to do like a, a test review. Yeah. And then when it comes to the actual one that matters, they're prepped for that. They've learned something rather than just guess, move on, nothing happened. They're like, meh, right? That way they actually, hey, I remember saying this or I remember reading this part. They learn something from that. And, you know, they get some points. They get some feedback. And they take all of that in the platform. What what uh, what other kinds of assessment do you like doing? I mean, I do a lot of multiple choice, but I also mm-hmm. like we write a lot. Too. Well, it's English. I make them write. Yeah, they have to write papers. I have them do a philosophy of life too as an extra credit. Oh, yeah. like uh, like early in the semester or towards yeah, the end? Towards the end, after I feel like I've taught them some about um, different perspectives from around the world. Yeah, and so I feel like they have a little wider view. They have them do that. In my class, they make films too. Yeah, yeah, and that's a little intimidating at first, but if they have any smart device now, they can make a film. You know what I'm waiting for is like my phone and that camera over there to become like a a unis... Like, because they make some cameras with apps, but if I could get a really nice HD camera with like... 256 gigs of onboard storage Mm -hmm. and apps for uploading because like the Warnick podcast it was like three hours long and it takes a long time to convert that to uh, mp4 and then to upload it but that would if I do it on my phone with through an app basically Mm -hmm. or if the app is on the device it's so much faster yeah it is and uh, I'm just kind of waiting for that to I, I wonder what lobbying is taking place so that this technology yeah. doesn't really yeah. exist, like an all-in-one. You'll get like a lot of on- onboard storage, but you won't have the apps on the on the device. Yeah. Um, or like a, an iPad. Like some of the cameras are really really nice, but it's still not quite like. Well, what it, and what's nice is now you can edit out so much that it's just kind of janky. As long as you have a halfway decent newer newer device yeah. it will be okay the product and the, the things that they make are phenomenal and they've never made a film before but if you know the techniques just get the basic techniques i don't teach them anything about how to use the apps because that's going to be obsolete in six months go out figure it out it'll teach itself you just teach this is what film is this is what cinematography is editing this is how you do it they make amazing things. How long are their films? Like five minutes. Five minutes. That's yeah. Such a good yeah. Idea. I wonder if so I could fun. do a like Arkansas history because definitely. Oh, well, the black and then also McCool before I taught it. Like he taught it for a semester while I was developing the course, and uh, they did some oral history projects. And when mm-hmm. I took it, I remember doing the oral history project. But I kind of want to evolve it. Like we actually watched. I have them. Um, you ever seen a painted house? Yes. Film. Yes. I have them watch that. I don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the black kind of read the book and like I already have them read True Grit so I didn't mm-hmm. want to assign two books mm-hmm. um, but then too like I'm I, I love history through film mm-hmm. and I'd like being critical not in like a negative sense but just like how is this legitimate or not legitimate is a source of history like yeah. a critical analysis paper and we do that on a painted house and kind of talk about the Arkansas image but that's 
John Grisham book. He grew up in eastern Arkansas. And in my honors in Shadow Film, I have him make a documentary. And it, you should do something like that. I mean, they go out yeah. to the little hometowns and things like that. They talk about something interesting that no one would know about that won't be that might be lost to history. And they have a great time. One of my students did that. Um, are you familiar with the Titan II missile mishaps Mm-mm. in Arkansas? No. When we had like nuclear warheads explode in cow pastures, it's not a big deal. It almost was, though. There is a documentary, high production value, on Netflix called Command and Control. I would recommend it to anyone, but we watched it. But then it's in Damascus, Arkansas. We have a lot of Middle Eastern place names around here, like Palestine. I've been through Damascus. Jerusalem, stuff like that. But Damascus is where this underground missile silo was. And a Titan II warhead, like a guy dropped a wrench down the silo and it like, Blew, like blew up like 200 feet in the air and stuff but like you can watch the old like news reports and stuff about it and it is just but this guy's grandma lives in damascus mm-hmm. and he'd felt he's just like didn't even tell him to do it but he filmed her and brought it in and i was in but to hear her talk about it was wild and they were like sharecroppers yeah. too so it was just like it was this all encapsulating view into because uh, she was probably like 80 i think mm-hmm. yeah well, and the other reason why I like doing that is it teaches our Kansans that their stories matter and they're interesting and they're cool and you just give them a platform for it. And it's a transferable skill. No matter what job they're going to go into, this matters for the future. Not the technology as much, which will change, but the ability to tell stories in a way that's compelling, that's transferable. And to put that into a format that's going to catch a lot of people, that matters. And then you also give them a sense of pride of place, too tell the stories from here yeah yeah do you um listen to any podcasts or anything like what's your thought about podcasting i i um listen to them when i'm on the trail especially a lot of yoga ones that's what yeah. i listen the most of but uh, there's tons of actual um like i just started doing audible mm-hmm. and there are tons of like uh originals like you can get these original titles and there's several on like yoga and wellness actually one thing i wanted to ask you about Mm-hmm. I saw this on your thing, uh, which we sh- we can talk about yoga as well. I want to ask you a lot about that. But okay, so you uh, somewhere I saw you like you disseminate between mindfulness and meditation. Yeah. Right. And I've only heard a few people like differentiate. A lot of people are like they're the same. But there's a guy. He he's a he's a doctor. He's a orthopedic surgeon. And he's like the greatest martial arts master I've mm-hmm. ever trained with. He comes into my class. He wears a white belt. He's 72. He blows my mind. And he's just the most humble guy. He's like, oh, everything's the same. We're all doing the same thing here. But he always talks to me about meditation and mindfulness, mm-hmm. right? And and he talks about them as being definitively different. Like, what? how would you... What, what do you think about that? Like, how would you explain them? Yeah, so I would say meditation is a formal practice. So if you're meditating, you are doing the actual practice of sitting right in silence um, and doing a formal type of practice. And mindfulness is the extension of that in your everyday life. So you're um, mindfully eating or mindfully um, speaking with someone or mindfully going about your day. Um, so mindfulness is the result of your meditation practice or uh, mindfulness is a result of your yoga or other parts of your life, other practices. It's how it's, um, going, infiltrating into the rest of your life. 
that's that's an interesting way to describe because I've 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 heard people describe it like oh, well meditation you focus on you know one thing and mindfulness you focus on more than one thing in just different ways of explaining it but one thing I kind of and maybe elaborate on this is like that Roland talks about with this this guy's name's Roland he he talks about mindfulness is almost like um savoring things like maybe you're eating but also um observing yourself Mm -hmm. doing an activity that you always do and i started thinking i was like man okay there have been times that i've done that and was not aware that i was doing like for jujitsu for example you'd be like trying to do a move and you learned it a week ago and you've been thinking about it Mm -hmm. and i'll just be sitting here and i'm like man that move is and you, I would have a period where I was like observing myself doing the move and thinking about the move and reflecting on the move. And it was only in those times when I had that experience in the interim of not training when I went back that I was like doing the move yeah. live against somebody. And it seems like when he's communicating this to me, like that's that's mind, a mindfulness activity as well. But yeah, that's a conscious awareness is how I would describe mindfulness, conscious awareness of what it is you're doing. Um, you, do you think it's um, do you do it before you go do things could it be oh next week on Sunday I will be doing this I mean how, how far ahead mindfulness is described as a conscious awareness of the present moment more so okay so it's um, typically within all of these lineages that meditation and yoga it's uh, bringing back to now the present moment and the more that we're aware of uh, what's happening now the more mindful we are so when we're lost in thought that isn't now we're less mindful mm. because um, nothing else exists so thinking of say a jujitsu move and um, that you've been doing that's not doesn't mean you're not mindful because it's happening in the future or it happened in the past you're just considering it but when you're actually practicing mindfulness you're also aware i'm thinking of this right now and it's interesting yeah it it is it's something i've why so many people talk about meditation mm-hmm. and this guy that i'm studying with is like in personally in my life the guy person that i'm around a lot he talks about it every interaction we have it's like a part mm-hmm. of the training mm-hmm. and one thing that he does is he's like hey let's do this kata over here we do the wing chun dummy mm-hmm. and we'll do like these 114 moves mm-hmm. and he's like okay now do it without the dummy yep. now let's go sit over here and do it without standing up now do it yep. with your eyes closed now do and then he'll have us do this we'll do it in our minds this way this way the he, he practiced a lot of tai chi too like he does these yeah. surgeries that, in, that's not, in that's la exactly i was gonna say this sounds like tai chi yeah, yeah so what do you think the parallels are there between yeah well they're all very much related to each other so if you look at a long history of different martial arts and how they're interwoven and where they come from and even yoga there there are more similarities than differences especially when it yeah. comes to the brain and what it's trying to accomplish and i don't know <laughs> I have been able to verify this historically, but a whole bunch of people around the 1800s when everybody was trying to figure out where jujitsu came from before it was in Japan, Mm -hmm. everybody talks about it originating in India. Mm -hmm. But there's, I haven't found any sources, but that's something that some of the founders of Brazilian jujitsu is when it went from Japan. When we told the Japanese to stop immigrating here, we're like, 
they started immigrating to Brazil. <laughs> yeah. Gentlemen's Agreement's what it's called in history, but mm-hmm. then it became Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Mm-hmm. But it's then people start thinking, well, what was it? When it was Japanese Jiu Jitsu, it was Judo, then it was Japanese Jiu Jitsu. What was it before that? Everybody says India, but I haven't found like, here's the scroll that says, yeah. Um, Dr. Nandi Vada, she's going to come on the podcast. Apparently her she's mom amazing. is like a, a yoga instructor as well. Yeah, she and I talk quite a bit about yoga because yoga in the West and yoga in India are two very, very different things. Have you been to India? No, I haven't. Andy Barrett, is he? Yeah. wasn't he just over there? Um, was he in India or was he in Thailand? He, goes He's to in Thailand. Th- he was in Thailand. Maybe he. Maybe when he was in Thailand, he practiced like this. Yeah. Apparently he practices legendary teacher. Uh, I, I'm going to have him on yes, at some he point. Yes, he practices with, he practiced with Iyengar. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so um, Tasha and I talk quite a bit. Uh, her mom's a yoga teacher in India. And so what is called yoga in the United States is not yoga in India. Here in the United States, we focus um, so much on the body. Uh, and so most yoga that you'll see practiced in the United States is resembles a workout and that's um not uh yoga and its larger idea yoga has eight limbs and only one limb is what's called asana or posture and if you look at in the united states that's pretty much all they do is <laughs> just the postures wow yeah and and that's because in the west we want movement and stop there and so idea wellness is just focus on the body exercise and then that will make you okay and if you ask somebody okay well why are you doing that right to be like um to be healthy well why and then they'll sort of stop um right um and they don't really understand what it is they're trying to get to because if you think what our end goal is it's all the same. We're all going to die, right? Maybe sooner than others, maybe later. And there's so much we control. There's not very much. The full picture of yoga is um, concentration, meditation, breathing, and then um, the yamas and niyamas, which are how to live within yourself and how to live with others. And then samadhi which is oneness with all living beings all of that is preparing you to die ultimately with ease and if you tried to describe that in yoga class everybody would leave so yeah Yeah. so that's not really where most people in the west get to they get to let's move the body maybe sweat a little if we're lucky and then go home and you can't even as a yoga teacher if you're fully trained even get to breathing half the time because that's hard for people to even understand why they're doing that and so it looks so different in the west because people here are so far away from understanding anything other than moving the body uh, it, breathing is such a passive I, 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 I've had a bronchitis a couple of times mm-hmm. in the last few years until you can't breathe like you don't realize how much you're just yeah it's just happening without you being conscious of it it's yeah. just and and you it gets interrupted but that is I, do you think that's because uh we're in a hurry like what do you 
I know I'm in a hurry. It's tied into everything in our structure in the United States of our economic structure and what we're based on. If we said, okay, we don't, our economy is to always never be happy now, always be happy in the future, always try to get more. Never can you have contentment with who you are, what you are, what you possess, right? That's the way that our structure is built. So all of our workout programs are even based on that. The way we eat is based on that. Everything is. Yeah, I, yeah, like with the, which not talking bad about CrossFit, but like that, the whole motto of like, do as many reps as you can. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what? Why? Like, what if I like hurt my shoulder or something yeah. trying to do that? I, can I just do like 25? And when I get super tired, I'm gonna stop. <laughs> and if we think about some something that is going to help you be content and with who you are and also able to function throughout your whole life right that doesn't suit everybody um if it's always this capitalist model of do more do more and do more always achieve more rather than have a type of wellness structure where it's forever and it's never going to be an incline right it might be like a plane yeah it might be like this Right, yeah. but it's something you you can always return to. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, yeah. would you like in your wellness? Mm-hmm. Would you rank yoga with like uh, like attending church, or like is it something that that you are doing as a part of uh, like your just because what you're saying like like why do people go to church? Right to kind of kind of grapple with that same existential question that you were talking about a second ago. Do you you think there's some linkages there? Are uh, people in the U.S. more apt to turn to religion than? Because I remember yoga had this. My family is very religious. Mm-hmm. Um, and the stigmatism. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, like why would this is bad? Okay, <laughs> putting your fingers like this is bad. <laughs> yeah, um, and part of that's because it comes from a different country. Is one of the main things. It comes from the East and it's associated with another religion from that country too. But yoga itself is not a religion, it's a philosophy. Um, so it comes, uh, people from different religions practice it and they incorporate it into their religions because it allows for that, but it's not associated with one particular one. So if you have a religious practice or if you don't, um, it allows for all of that. So it does uh, connect your mind and body and your spirit, all of those things within the practice. Um, so that's the way it functions. Do you think that this model is leading a lot of people to, and, and just different things, like I know people argue about screen time and, and, mm-hmm. and the effects, but do you think that there's like a, Americans have a, a tendency to sort of disassociate the physical body between the mind. Cause like when I see somebody that's unhealthy, I'm like, I wonder what level of thinking that they're, because I know like if, if I'm eating bad, if I'm not exercising, if I'm injured, like my quality of life mentally yeah. is the thing that has affected the most. Like I am, yeah, my shoulder hurts, but my mind is like, you know, and I, I wonder, like, it, there, it does seem to be this disassociation between, like, our our physical bodies and our minds. And I wonder, like, some people would argue that that is, like... 
Well, no, the research even shows it. You don't even have to argue it. There is a disassociation between the mind and body, especially um, with the more screen time you have, and especially um, in the United States. Like, this is one of the things, too, that I study. I like Ayurveda that I was certified in. It's It tries to bring you back to listening to the body because people will cut that off. Like, you, they don't understand their own bodies. Like, they... They don't even know when they're getting sick until they're full-fledged on illness. Because you don't, we're trained not to listen, right? Shut it off. Don't hear it. And so something like Ayurveda or even yoga will train you. Just listen to the body and know. Listen back to your body. Figure out, okay, I feel this coming on. This part isn't too well. And it doesn't replace any Western medicine. It adds to that to say, okay, what is happening to myself? When is it the time to go see the doctor? Most people don't go until they are very sick, and it's already late. Yeah. Um, so how long have you been practicing? Oh, well, I wasn't, I mean, I had practiced like most people do, you know, on YouTubes or whatever, but I didn't get serious until I got tenure, which is when a lot of people make changes because they have time, and they're like, you know, I need more tools if I'm going to survive. So that was... Um, 2006. Okay. Wow. What do you think has been the most beneficial thing it's done for you other than the stuff you've already talked about? (laughs) Well, I think the most beneficial actually is I'm, it's just like continuous, continual happiness. Yeah. I mean, health is, is nice and everything, but none of that matters if you don't know how to control your own, um, emotions. And that doesn't mean that I'm, you know, one of those annoying people who's happy all the time, but what it means is that I understand now how to let emotions come and let them go. That is something Roland talks about all the time. He's yeah. like, you're gonna have a negative thought pop into your mind for. Ne-. He's like, I don't. He's like, we just that's what we do. We just have negative thoughts yeah. all the time. He's like, I, 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 I don't know why, but I have negative thoughts all the time. Like he said that, and I was like. And he's like, and when that negative thought comes in, like you need to deal with it. You need yeah. to kind of address it. Like, where is this coming from? Like, why, why, why am I experiencing this? And and just kind of work yourself through it and and examine it. But that's it's fascinating to hear these things. And like more, I think it's it's beneficial to get this out because. I'm benefiting from the conversation. I know others will. But so many people, I think, have some misconceptions. Like, until I had somebody in front of me talking to me about it all the time, I, was, I wasn't even asking myself questions. I just, oh, yeah, you just sit there with your legs crossed and, like, a full lotus if you can do it. Yeah, and just nothing happens in your brain. And you just and that's think not the about way. nothing. Maybe yeah. you think about one thing. No, and that's not the way it is at all. No. But that is, that is I think, the way so many people perceive it. And they're like, I could never do that because I can't empty my mind. Well, nobody can. That's not the way brains work. There's always something in your brain. That's the way they work. And so you're like, yeah, there's always something in there. And it comes. And the difference is you learn with time to let it go. And most people, so many people don't know how to do that second part. They get stuck with anger or they get stuck in hatred or they get stuck in resentment. And they don't know how to I, let it go. To you. Yeah. Like I, somebody, a lady I know, She's a psychologist. Was talking to me about this. Are you familiar with the activity of cows chewing their cud? Mm-hmm, yeah. She's just like, yeah. Um, like you know, they have to throw it up, and then they chew the throw up, mm-hmm. and then they swallow it again, and they might do that a few times mm-hmm. to get it. She's like, 
imagine doing that with negative thoughts like yeah. the same thought you're struggling with for six weeks yeah like you're just gonna throw it up and then eat it and swallow yeah. it and then you're gonna think that thought again and it just becomes habitual yeah and honestly like if i wouldn't have had that conversation with her now i think that when i start having negative thoughts i'm like oh, i was she, she told me it would be this way you know like yeah. and you can and but it's like awareness of like having some sort of mental strategy where i first got onto this was like the uh, the art of tidying up mm -hmm. like what i took away from that was like yeah this is awesome i love this pen but i got a way cooler pen and this one doesn't even work anymore mm -hmm. it served its purpose i'm gonna miss it but yeah. i don't need that pen anymore yeah. but it like it gives you some ways to like talk yourself through like and it doesn't bring me joy anymore. And I found that I need like two levels of that. Like I need like, I don't want to get rid of this, but it doesn't really work anymore. I have, when's the last time I used it? Mm. It served its purpose to me. It doesn't still make me happy. You know, we used to. It's okay that it does anymore. But just like little uh, like thought exercises is what we would kind of call that in philosophy. Mm -hmm. Or awareness. I mean, yeah. and learning strategies and tips have been been huge for me just the other thing that um with emotions is it's the same with happiness like people feel happiness and then they want that always that has to go too so every emotion is a visitor it's going to come and then it's supposed to go and then a new one comes and it's supposed to go so you, that feeling of you know euphoria feels great right wonderful or or just like you're at the top of the world something great happens you feel it you feel it intensely and then it's gonna go and that's okay it's supposed to right and so every emotion is supposed to come and it's supposed to go and then it will come back and it will go and the more that we're okay and we're not attached to those the more content and happier overall we are we're like it's okay it's okay if i have something terrible happens it's okay that i have sadness you need to let yourself feel it and don't resist it because when we resist it it's going to come back right gonna be there if we say no i won't feel you right no no just let it yeah i feel terrible feel it feel it and then let it go let it go Ollie. do you feel like you have less of that due to your practice like you have less negative thoughts and emotions oh yeah without a doubt are um, you able to process them quicker yeah and also i don't take things as personally so i'll be you know, if there's something happens at work, um, I'm more able to say, all right, when it was really something that I did and I need to say, own up to it. Or when I'm like, you know, no, that, that doesn't really have to do with me. Won't feel as guilty about that. That has to do with this other scenario. Right. So I don't take things as personally that aren't mine to take personally. That's an, that's an interesting like, new equation is like, even though it's a 25 30 hour a week gig but like working as a professor as an instructor of history it's a weird pressure it's yeah. it, it there's weird pressures i have now that i didn't have for years and it's it's taken some adjustments you know of just like do i need to freak out about this they want mm -hmm. me to do this but i said no yeah but I said yes all the other times, and it <laughs> yeah. was really stressing me out. Yeah. You know, and you can take that on all the time if you wanted to. There's all sorts of weird um, emotions you can take on that aren't yours to take on. But if you wanted you, you could take them on all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like it's well, it's just a choice. But I think that I don't have this conversation with with this lady about it being a, a, a choice and me acknowledging like, oh, I'm 
kind of thinking about this every day. Yeah. And it'll be in the back of your mind until you let it go. And I've had a thought like that just like set me down, like to where I just like, oh, I didn't do anything. And that's how big of an effect it can have on you. It's just like literally depress you. Yeah. Uh, if you let it. Yeah, you, you, without a doubt. Or the same thing like a student not doing well, and then you start taking it personally. Um, and you, and then you have to own up how much of it was me and how much of it was a student. And what can you do about it is the other next step. If there's nothing proactive you can do about a thing, then we need to let it go, right? So I'm especially big with this on negative thoughts and, and even negativity within social spheres. So on social media and things like that, if there's nothing we can do about it, then what are we doing? How are we helping with what we put out there? Yes, and those are hard lessons to learn. Like I, I try and have a, a policy, like let's say I upload this podcast and some people are like, you hippies don't know what you're talking about. Mm. Stupid. <laughs> like, to just let that go. Like, oh, yeah, I don't even know you, or maybe I do, yeah. but that's not going to affect me. Like, you yeah. think I'm not going to do a podcast because of you? Yeah. But so many, it, it's the norm to be like, oh, you want to comment on my stuff? Mm-hmm. Like, somebody did that to one of my sassy the other day, and, and I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to reply. Well, that's because it's not about you. It's about them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, yeah, well, this doesn't affect me. But I, how many times, I know, and I myself, many others, and you, we see it every day, like there's gifts, like oh, I'm just here for the comments. I'm just eating mm-hmm. the popcorn. Yeah. But it, but also, like that is one thing I literally hate about social media is just like the negativity, the headlines. It'll be a headline. You can't even read the article because you'll click on it and be like, you don't have a subscription to New York Times. Would you like to get one for a dollar a month? <laughs> but it's just, so all you got literally was a headline. You don't even know the date of the article. Yeah. And many times it's from like 2016. And somebody's just recirculating it because it fits their, but it's so negative out there. It is. And if, and that's just breeding this sort of fear and awfulness that's not helping. And to me, I'm always like, well, can, if I can't do something, if I can't have an action out there, I won't give out negativity because it's not going to help anything. And in my life, I mean, it's all about actions. How can I solve a problem? That's what I do at work all the time. How do you address like uh, that negativity in the digital sphere or like uh, I talk about this and fascinated by this idea like if evil exists in the universe there's definitely digital evil mm-hmm. right if you if you think that there's about a good and evil at work or evil forces it's like there's evil stuff in the digital space yeah. which your kids are also on yeah. or maybe they are I don't know if they are I don't know how you well, if you do screen media. time yeah. but uh, you know like YouTube in the comments section yeah. or just whatever it is I, I think about it all the time like because Corey and I are like family planning and it's like mm-hmm. how do you even begin to navigate that I've asked several people this but I still don't know like I don't have it figured out for sure but I get get paranoid about it the more I think about it. Well, you have to set up, I think. I mean, I don't have the answers to all this, so, you know. But I think for us, it's how we are every day at home. 
and how we talk to them and the models that we give at home for how we behave is what matters the most for any child. And so, yeah, I mean, the way that we talk to each other and the way that we model that and discuss it with them matters more than anything. And we say, okay, how are you going to solve problems in this world? Because that's why you're putting your on earth. Right. That's a, at least our theory. You're born to help humanity in some way. And what is it you're going to do? And I can't imagine that, you know, spending your time commenting yeah. is the way that's going to solve your humanity. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so... You like knocking people over while you're on roller skates. Yeah, I do. Just, that's fun. <laughs> is, what do you like about derby? That's fascinating. Like, you, like I was like, when I told you I wanted to have sense, you right? on, I was just like, like... Peace, love, live in the moment. Knock some people over. Yeah. Gotta well, have a balance, right? Well, it is. It's all about balance. But it makes a lot of sense, actually, when you start thinking about it. So, what roller derby does is um, it teaches women... Um, to overcome their biggest fear. And for most women, it's uh, getting hurt is their biggest fear. And not just getting hurt, but that they're not strong enough to overcome getting hurt. And so, first thing you do when they come to practice is they got to fall down because that's what happens in, uh, continually in roller derby. You fall down, like, over and over and over. And so, I mean, we wear pads far fewer than in football, but we wear pads. Um, and so you fall down. You fall down your knees. Get back up repeatedly because you have to train your uh, muscles to fall down and fall down correctly because the minute you fall down wrong, you're never going to do it again. Because you're getting, yeah. Leanna broke her tailbone, she'll tell you. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fall down the wrong way, you're never going to do it again. Yeah, some people's t- tailbones stick out further than others and, like, Mine is one of those. Like, and I've had, I, I've done some judo throws and stuff in the mm-hmm. past, and like sat down on my tailbone hard, and it's not good. Well, we don't fall that way unless the only people who fall that way are people who are newer to the sport, uh, because their muscles aren't trained yet to fall mm-hmm. the correct way, and so we fall on our knees. It's like two inches thick. You try and like land like kind of flat, or like how? Uh, just no, nah, just fall straight on your knee, elbows in, um, because you don't want to fall on your hands. We have yeah, thick wrist guards, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's all metal on either side. So we fall close, fall, fall small, but we fall on our knees continually, big old thick knee pants. Um, and so what what we teach women through this, you fall down and get up over and over and over and over. And then gradually that whole fear of the worst thing, right? You fall down, you get hurt, and you won't be able to get back up. It gets over. And then that you're going to get hurt. No, you're going to fall down. It's going to hurt. You get right back up and you go. And I can tell now from after doing this for six years, I can tell if someone's hurt or if they're just scared hurt, right? They just got the wind knocked out of them. Yeah. And you can tell right away, right? There's some people who just um, automatically start crying if they got scared. And there's some people who never cry, right? So you, I can tell they just got scared or that's hurt, right? Yeah. And eventually they'll stop, right? And then no, they'll get up and they'll fight harder and they'll fight harder. And what it's teaching them is not violence at all. It's teaching them self-preservation. And it's teaching them to use what they're learning out there on the track 
in the rest of their lives, in their work, they're going to start fighting for themselves. Instead, women never ask for promotions, usually. They're like, no, it's fine. You know, it's okay. No, you go fight for yourself. Get out there. Do that. See that yeah. whole take it. And so that's what it's teaching. Let's, let's segue into this. Um, so, like, in my classes, it's like 60 to 70% female, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I think that's awesome. Yeah. Because it's teaching history. It's like the the most uh, marginalized groups in U.S. history won until the Civil War. And they even beyond into the 60s are women, African-Americans, and Native Americans. Yeah. And it's depressing, honestly, to talk. But to, to, to like be talking about Reconstruction and certain women are like, if we can just, you know, help the if we can help the African Americans get their rights, maybe we'll get ours. Mm-hmm. And you having a background in in women and gender studies, like, what are some some like stereotypes like that you see, or what advice would you have to these young women that are unsure of themselves because maybe they don't do roller derby or, <laughs> or or whatever, right? Yeah. Um you know, when we usually start teaching, I'll see a lot of my first year students say, well, it's so good that everything's solved today and things are great. And I'll be like, you know, they don't know what they're going to face. It's going to be a lot different than they think. Things are better than they were, (laughs) but it's by no means solved. If you ask any of their professors in the room, how many comments they get on their student evaluations about what they're wearing, or um, that their jokes weren't funny, or um, that they should be sexier. Yeah. Female professors exclusively? Oh, Oh, that is... Awful, awful comments. Oh, that doesn't make me happy. Yeah, and and Chronicle Higher Education has done many, many articles about this. There's about 200 uh, articles. I think it was 170 last I saw about the bias on um, female professors and... And they'll use like diminutive words to describe them. And this isn't something like I made up by any means. Uh, Jason Warnick actually did send me a whole bunch of information about this too. Um, because we don't see it as much. We don't talk about it as much. And so it's still difficult. Um, but we can't, when we talk about it as openly, um, women are more likely to be told that we made it up. So, mm. you know, this is this is sort of stuff like I love this podcast, but you're you're part of like I'm trying just like as a a man to try and sit down with more women because it's not it's that's not typical, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, I'm just having a bunch of dudes on this show, <laughs> and we're talking about dude stuff a lot of uh, you know, but it's just like I need to talk to more I need to talk to more women I need more perspective on what that's like because like I know what Cora experiences that she mm-hmm. tells me about yeah. I know what she has experienced in the past and it's very much being like objectified like yeah. oh you're an object like you're going to be called pink pants yeah. or, or like stuff like that it's just like and she talks about it uh, we both work out at like St. Mary's mm-hmm. and she experiences it there like where it just gets treated as an object yeah. has had a stalker like I'm never gonna have to worry about having a stalker. Yeah. I hope. 
I hope. But, yeah. but, but I mean, how that would not be typical. It wouldn't be typical. Or even like when I was working with Jeff Woods, people would thank me for making the food. I didn't make the food. <laughs> with a sphere, okay? The women in this sphere over here with the food is prepared, okay? Yeah. I mean, I was doing program assessment. I was doing incredible things in that job. And I was, you know, yeah. Honestly, I've just been going through a lot of this because I think of teaching about it. Yeah. You hear the story. And like probably like two years ago, like I didn't even, I guess I was going like, just increasing my awareness but I like looked at Cora and I was like dude suppressed the female consciousness for like thousands of years mm-hmm. that's how I see this yeah. like at one point in history in the ancient world women were like deified there's these Venus figurines all over the world and it's thought that there's like a like women were seen as the the key to the preservation of the species like without these like we need to be sure they stay healthy they're the and i don't know like did did what we're talking about grow out of that like I, but to see like when i teach about um the assyrians right so according to my notes from krieger's class the assyrians were the first culture to come up with veiling mm-hmm. and if you want to wear a veil on your face like that's fine i would never be like no you can't you shouldn't do that but like for somebody to be like cover your face because ain't nobody gets to look at it except Mm me Mm -hmm. yeah and i think it's it goes back to what we're talking about at least for a professor mindfulness as you go about teaching be mindful be like okay if we're commenting commenting on the tone of a woman's voice and we wouldn't do that for a man what is that saying right we're saying oh, she's harsh right and we're saying that but we wouldn't say that about his voice right and we're treating that differently why why are we doing that and is it because we're just not used to a woman in that role so it's always being mindful is what it is thinking about why our representation how many of who we're teaching how many women authors or whatever and when we're not what message does that send to our students and what they can and cannot accomplish both um our male students and how they see women and our female students and how they're reflected and how they're represented so it's being mindful every step and that's that's as educators what we have to do if anything is going to change and at what what point of the chain of education does that like when you have like I feel like this goes on a lot like you get like boys turning 13 14 15 years and there's just such like this dismissive attitude it's like yeah. oh you know boys would be boys or whatever you want to say of like oh they're going through puberty or, or mm-hmm. whatever it is and these are also things I think about about just like raising a family one day it's like how is that does that need to be addressed do you have any theories do you have any plans with how you would would address like you either having a daughter running into that or you having a son that is that is around it because that is that's a liability for me i'm just like yeah like 90 percent of my friends when i was 14 trash like (laughs) you know within how and how like we viewed like girls in junior high And I, to look back on it and to look back on the things he said, like Warnick was talking about this, of like, I, and he was like, saying he was like 14, so he'd be like, God, oh, it's gay. Yeah. And now we're just like, oh, it's so bad. That? Why did we oh, say why that all the time? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think, at least for my kids, Olive pushes back. She has the confidence to push back on that whenever she hears it or she avoids those people entirely which is more her go-to because she's a bit of she's an introvert like i was still am um and moss he's he's only 10 but that's how we're hopefully raising him to be. named after a shade of green he's also named after the playwright moss hart oh wow yeah. okay okay where did you where was the olive uh, inspiration um david had a great aunt olive that he was very okay. close to and he actually before we even met had a poem published about how he's going to name his daughter olive i didn't even have a choice that was like wow set in stone yeah um, those are those are interesting names i've can't think i mean there's olive oil from uh yeah. pompeii but yeah. that's it yeah um you know olive herring neil harrington's daughter's named olive same grade she yeah. is okay <laughs> yes yes he did tell me because yeah he we were talking about kids because like uh he was making fun of me i was like will it be anything like my dog and he was like oh oh <laughs> taste the stories guy and i was just like oh man yeah yeah, the name of his band is Black Sabbatical. I know there. I know we have we have them on our um, our big uh, well-being committee series next semester. We're all going to go see them. Well, here's my plan: the new studio, I will be able to do like tiny desk concerts. Oh, that's so fun! So I'm going to see if that. Like, I have uh, there's another room in the house, and Corey would be thrilled when it's not a music room in the house anymore. Yeah. But w- but the goal is to take this studio and that. Mm-hmm. Because the the space, uh, the new studio is probably three times the size of this. So oh, I'm just awesome. going to put it all, and it's like, oh, hey, yeah, we're I'm getting a new mixer, and can can we'll be able to do that. It'll be oh, awesome. I so I can yeah. sit on podcast with him and be like, all right, you do is play a song. Yeah. So I want to do that. Um, Neil was talking about I'm going to try and get Adam Fawcett on. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So might just but do like a special episode once a month. So I do a music unraveled show. Mm-hmm. I've done nine of those where we'll listen to an album. Mm-hmm. or something like that like we went to a concert we'll talk about it. so that's um it's gonna be cool to do that I'm yeah i'm excited about yeah, it yeah that'll be cool we got a number of various people who play in bands but they're my favorite because they're all from my college yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's uh super cool who, who else uh well billy reader plays the mandolin come to find out i've been playing the mandolin for a couple he plays years the mandolin? yeah he's an a style mandolin i was like dude we got a jam yeah i didn't know that yeah so he's fun yeah, he is. I, I, I want to have him back on. He's he's pirating right now, mm-hmm. um, sailing across the Gulf. And, mm-hmm. But he's been training jiu-jitsu with us. Because, you know, Jeff Woods teaches the noon class in ju- at the gym. Mm-hmm. And so he's he goes to Woods' class once a week and comes to my class once a week. Mm-hmm. So I've been guilting Woods to get back into yoga. Well, the hope um, is that we can have more yoga times. Yeah, I know. At the new spot. Like, we just did a walkthrough today. They still have to get a lot of stuff out of there. No. Oh. Have you been in the new spot? No, I drove by, I drove by it today, though. Okay. I've been in it when it was the old spot. Yes, we definitely, um, I know Corey's type but would like any opinions. Oh, ideas. I've already given mine. Yeah, she's, well, she's <laughs> like, yeah, her and Jess have it. But um, I guess, we, so you do hot yoga. Mm-hmm, and like, hot yoga. Yeah, that is the... Th- they're really about setting that room up to be able to do hot yoga in there. And I guess that's something that you were. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell Cora about that because the, um, the town's right for hot yoga. And if y'all don't do it, someone else will move in and do it for you. Um, because if you look at like Northwest Arkansas, they have number hot yoga studios. Yeah. You know, we have an affiliate gym. It's one of my coaches and he, they offered hot yoga and yoga and they still have a huge room and they don't do it anymore. And I'm just like, dude, yeah, 
It's just like wasted square footage and stuff. But have you seen that? There's so many funny memes on the internet about like jujitsu people doing yoga. Have you seen any of them? Okay. So there's one where it's like a Noah's Ark scene Mm -hmm. and it's like an elephant and a penguin. And it's like, uh, the elephant is says jujitsu and the penguin says yoga. And, um, it something something to do with there's a, they they produce this elephant headed penguin and it says murder <laughs> and it's but there's a, like the cartoon x men like making out and it's like yoga jujitsu making out and then like wolverine's over here looking sad and it's like weightlifting like, <laughs> but it is it is a thing like joe, uh, joe rogan talks about all the time like so many jiu-jitsu people want to get into yoga probably because our joints freaking hurt so yeah. bad yeah well y'all are fun to teach yoga too because you're strong and um and yeah jess's husband was in my class the other night and and what's fun about that is sometimes you know as teachers we can get all carried away because then we can make y'all do things that are ridiculous sometimes because you'll just be able to like yeah sure and just like right nick is ripped oh right his core like my main practice that I've been doing for years and years every morning is called Ashtanga. And um, now the guy who uh, came up with this series is terrible. So we won't talk about him. We don't like him. But his series that he came up with is phenomenal. And it's the same series you do every day. And it's known for being difficult uh, because it's really challenging on uh, the core and on um, the shoulders. And it's a series too within it where you do jump back so you pick yourself up and jump back and go into a low push-up and then from down dog you'll um, jump through into an L-sit now most people this takes years and I was like hey Nick let's see he did it the first time just picked it what yeah I was like apparently he does like squats on his lunch break and stuff yeah I was I mean if if I wasn't um trained in my eight limbs i would have been pissed at him <laughs> you know what's uh, ironic is that muay thai has is called the art of eight limbs like yeah, when you yeah, said that earlier i yeah. was like oh interesting yeah well ash ashtanga ashta eight um that's what that means yeah eight and limbs eight limb yoga interesting and then there's been another evolution of muay thai that's nine limbs because they use headbutts mm. and i'm just like no guys that's, yeah that i'm gonna stick now. to the eight and i'm gonna <laughs> limit the elbow usage yeah. so yeah um i had a question okay so like some guys and i'm not one of them say this and i, I don't really know where it's coming from i know at least two people that I've met that have said this, like about women and gender studies, apparently Mm -hmm. like some people say like, Oh, gender studies are bad. Yeah. And like, I don't get that. Mm -hmm. And I don't get the argument. The arguments that people make are baseless. And they're like saying like, Oh, gender studies create division and they, they create these radical opinions. And, and I'm like, no like we need to know about this like like what i'm going over in history i remember i had dr gleason she was always talking about women women in labor uh not like having childbirth but like in the in in work but it's i i where does that come from 
Like, are you familiar with this? Like, yeah. where some people will make these arguments. I think it's toxic. But well, I think it has to do with fear that um, things will change dramatically, and that won't be uh, like gender roles will change dramatically, and things won't be recognizable. Whenever there's any any reaction like that, it's out of fear. Um, fear that things will be different, or that they something will change that they won't recognize. Um, but fear usually comes from lack of knowledge and it's also from something they've seen that's on some sort of very radical spectrum too and that didn't sit well with them yeah and this is indoctrinated to me i think and and maybe some of this is rooted in this but the idea like i was I was talking with like I, I I talk with like a therapist, so I don't mm-hmm. even care. But to say that, but I was kind of saying to her, I was like, I, it's like, do you think it's like a guilt thing? Because also, like, uh, I felt like I made it out of my childhood with like this idea that like I was supposed to be a provider. Yeah, and I think that that is a um, still like a very much in the consciousness of at least Americans of like the. Like, how far have we really gone from the June and Ward Cleaver American dream model to now and how much things have changed due to civil rights and other things? But there's just, like, this weird contrast where even me, I was just like, well, damn, like, I'm not any more of a provider than Corey is. Like, she's providing tons of stuff for me. Like, and I just realized what a flawed identity I felt like that was like it, but yet I was carrying it around like in well into my adulthood. Well, and that had gender studies is not just about women. It's about men and making things better for both. So something that, okay, you felt like you needed to be a provider that men needed to be a provider and also build up something that was actually harmful for men during all of those years, like something that was violent and something that wasn't actually going to help men, at the same time holding women back within those roles when our economy was changing and women needed to work. And so it wasn't going to be sustainable. It's like a Pandora's box, too. Like, I, I felt like it, it, it's weird that after, like, these major, uh, and it's weird that after the Civil War, we didn't have more of an explosion of women's rights, but just mm-hmm. African Americans, yes. But how it's like, oh, after World War Two or World War One, rather, that's when you get the sort of this leap forward, which mm-hmm. has continued. Like, how much do you think things have evolved since then? It, and it depends on the circle you're talking to. So they've evolved a lot in some areas and not so much in others. You think that's like sectional lines? like Well, it, class lines, um, regional lines, um, in family lines it really depends so i think people get confused that when you talk about gender studies it will be all one way Mm. all women need to be x all men need to be z right and instead it's like no what it means and as we develop is that people are allowed to decide more for themselves without people telling them all people should be x and all people should be z so that in my family, right, it's allowed to be a balance as we define it. In your family, that, that may look a little different, and that's okay. So if one family wants the man to have more of a sort of role than the woman not to, and the other wants the woman more assertive role than the man not, it doesn't matter. 
and it doesn't have to be defined by gender. It has to be defined by who they are as people. And rather, since our economy has switched from way far away from an agrarian society, these have to switch because they're not based anymore on gender. And to still have them based on gender doesn't make sense for who we are and where we are. So you can keep that model if it works for your family, but to say we all have that mo- have to have that model is just going to lead to violence, sadness, all sorts of trouble. I, I agree. Like, and not not to say that David is a feminine man at all. No, if you knew him, he's actually not. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I like, but I could see like at the time, like I just had met no guys like yeah. like him. Which would actually probably just be like a really open-minded person that's just yeah. going to be their self with that, which is like how I'm trying to be. Yeah. It takes much more masculinity to be that way. It yeah. takes a lot more um, true courage and bravery. It takes to be the, to follow what's considered normal masculinity that's safe takes nothing. So someone who's very brave and strong is the one who's going to say, no, this is what it looks like. That's, that's true masculinity bravery. Yes. Isn't it, isn't it crazy that like, uh, men are not like, like we're not supposed to cry. Yeah. Like that, that's a, that's a, it's, it's, it's weird because like, I remember being a kid and like, that was kind of the, and then what happened when they weren't supposed to, it came out as anger lately. It's going to come out like, oh, like yeah. a different way. It's going to come out as alcoholism. It's going to come out as something else. It's going to come out. If you have an emotion that you can't express, it's going to come out in a different way. Men, women, doesn't matter whom, kid, for everybody. If there's something you feel you can't express, it's going to come out. I, t- I like, it's weird. It's, it's interesting. As I've gotten older, only really the last three or four years, like music makes me cry all the time. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I, it is like this band that is a lot of the is all this artwork is widespread Panther, my favorite band. But like I remember being, it was last March, and it was like I mean, I've like teared up and like I'm not gonna cry or whatever at the sh- at a show or listen to a song or get goosebumps and you know I'm driving in my car, I'll just let it go or whatever. But like. I like cried uncontrollably. Like mm-hmm. I didn't even know what was going on, but I've talked to several people about it. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's happened to me like four times. Yeah. When my chiropractor said that, he's like, oh, I remember this is Eric Clapton show, <laughs> opening song. They played this. But I don't know what it was. I was just, I, I remember at the time I was listening, I was like watching them do their thing. I was like, I've listened to music my whole life and I'd, I don't understand this, like how like, pure this is. And I just like broke down. I was just like, these guys are like the, the Jesus of music. That's what yeah. I was thinking. I was like, there's if, nothing if more pure. get past that stage and uh, like um, fifth through eighth grade when that's when um, they start solidifying masculinity, which is actually much more tightly controlled than what femininity is. It's, there's, big boundaries on what it is to be a man and if you go outside that right you'll be ridiculed harshly if we can loosen those things are going to get a little easier stop policing those so much and then it doesn't have to take till you're you know in your late 20s be like yeah crying's fine i mean i don't i'm i don't i don't cry much just cause, just because i'm a girl it's just not a thing i do very often it doesn't mean i'm against it and when the time's right i'll ball my eyes out i'll just not cry here Others, yeah, some men cry a lot. Good for them. But we shouldn't have to 
take that time where men say, oh, it's okay for me to cry. If we stop policing it during that and allow that, that time for boys to be okay just with whoever they are, yeah. then we don't have to then help later fix things. Well, here's a question. Like, do you think that you're that way because of some of your practice? Like, that you, that you have less, like, I don't want to say like crying is like a, an emotional outburst mm-hmm. or something, but like that. Like, do you think you just have your emotions or they're more polished? They're more conditioned. I, well, no, I think yes and no. I think there's a range that people naturally have. And I think that some people naturally cry more than others. Um, so there's that piece. And then others are um, that maybe my practice means that. Yeah, that's fascinating because it, you, you've got a lot going on. Like that's why I figured I'd go on message. I was like, let's just talk about you know like all this stuff you got going on. Yeah, you and know, you're like here's a resume in case you're <laughs> curious, which was super helpful. I was like, all right, this is going to be great because not everybody can I actually ask some guided questions to and have some curiosities other than like I saw you make this Facebook status about this. Yeah, what you know, say? and I I never taught um, like classes in the history of like feminism as much. Even though I'm trained in it, mine was more in like the history of sexuality, which was my subfield that I was more trained in, um, and that's where my research was. Um, or in like love and how that manifests with gender. Um, I did te- teach a course for communication and um, the communication of gender and how men and women communicate differently and what that means. Um, but I never taught a full-on like history of gender. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I remember Gleason taught like a Southern women's history. Yeah. Um, and then maybe just a women's history. And then mm-hmm. she taught labor history, which in that course she went into oh, you a have lot. To. Yeah. yeah. If you don't, you're being kind of a crappy professor if you don't go into gender with labor history. Oh, yeah. Well, and just going like what I one one thing I've done is like as I've developed my courses is gone back and really interspersed my notes from courses I had when, yeah. I, when I had U.S. History 1 or whatever. And that was one thing that, yeah, it's in the book, but I feel like she just she did a little more, yeah. you know, and, and I appreciated it. And I remember appreciating it at the, at the time. And it's, it's reinvigorated by interest now, you know, well, especially when you start looking at, like, I'm sure she talked about the public sphere, the private sphere. And when they started moving and shifting and how key that was to everything that happened. That sphere after. argument just, yeah, it blows your mind, doesn't it? And you start, it yeah. Does, but and then you see the remnants of it now with like people's grandmas and like, yeah. And, and just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it is weird. And it, and how it functions in the South more than in the North in different places. Do you think that, what do you think that's is a holdover from the agrarian days? Yeah. And it's an industrial revolution. That's really what it is. Um, and, and it, this still, especially here, far more agrarian for far longer. And so you see that here, even in how people, like I can talk to my students all day long about this stuff, but the minute they get married, they want to return to their agrarian roots. And you can see in their Isn't, marriages. Yeah, I went yeah, through that. Isn't that weird? It's weird. And like they'll drop their maiden names like they never had them. And they Which, yeah, you don't have, you, you didn't take them. No. I no. felt bad for telling, like I was like, Corey, are you changing your name? Like no, what are you talking don't about? No, feel bad. It works, it, everybody works differently. This is actually David's idea, you know. Uh, yeah, it, it seems like me. somebody did tell me that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. He said, I wouldn't take your name. 
so why would I ask you to take mine? And I said, good point, sir. I should marry you. <laughs> and, you know, so that's somebody, that's a person, ladies, that you should marry right there. But also I was going to be the first doctor in my family. There was never one. Wow. And so I wanted to make sure I had my family's name to make that happen. Um, that means something. So yeah. they were all, they were lawyers and they were government, they all worked for county government and local government. But I'm the first doctor, Claire. Yeah, now, like, I just how I feel about, like, I would never want to do anything to, like, negatively alter or influence Cora's identity. And that is uh, literally since we've got, like, I've had many shifts in perspective on, on that. And it's all since I've been, like, 28 years old. Well, she's her own person. Uh, she yeah. is. And honestly, the more I just, like, don't interfere with anything she does, like, even, like, or how she teaches a kids class or whatever because I've seen that I've seen people try and control like instructors like whether they're married or not mm-hmm. and like hey teach this do it this way and it's like mm-hmm. she didn't need any of that from no. me and and I've noticed a definitive shift since I was just like you know what like I'm not gonna really give any input mm-hmm. and things have only gotten better yeah and and that's at least in my research I mean as far as relationships and marriages when you grow side by side letting each other just do that and you're walking because we're gonna change as people how do you how do you so you're busy you're a busy person right yeah I like being busy yeah (laughs) how do you and David like manage your relationship right you have kids too yeah and do you have pets yeah we do so yeah which we it's a circus and I don't even have kids it's a circus around here well it helps that we work at the same place um that makes a difference although we don't see each other during the work day because uh we're across campus but you know um we begin each day together we end each day together we're always in communication but we've been married for 20 years and here's the thing david and i got married he he was 21 i was 22 by this time we've never been adults alone so i've never had a credit card by myself yeah it's a i don't like life separate from david doesn't there's not such a thing in my mind there is no life separate from David. Whenever there's an issue or a problem, you turn towards the other person rather than away, towards a friend or social media or whatever it is. In a relationship, if you turn towards that person, the relationship will only grow stronger. That's where your security lies. And so if you turn away during a problem, that just gets bigger, right? So, I have complete and utter trust in him and who he is and that he'll be there 1,000%. And that's what matters is that trust. And we're together at each other at our children's events. Um, when he has a production, it's going to be hard, but that production will end. So, you know, yeah. it's going to be okay. Yeah, um, and would you say, like, I mean, how do you balance, like, your your own separate identities? Well, I... I Where is there? Well, the thing is, he he is who he is, I am who I am, and we know who we are. So, um, I think, too, it, it amazed people when we did get together because we're very different. 
right? He's very um, exuberant and tiggerish, and I am very Eeyore-ish, right? So it's not the same, right? That's funny. <laughs> yeah. That's a great analogy. And so he can't make me into him. He can't, I can't, right? We can't become each other at all. We have, we're going to be separate and different. And so we just help each other keep growing old together, but we can't be the same person, it's yeah. never going to happen. And if I'm like, oh, now I'm going to be this, you know, yoga teacher. Look at me go on this journey. He's like, is it making you happy? Do it. Is it har- if it's anything yeah. harming me, then, you know, I'll, he'll be on my back. I'll be on his. I'll be like, no. But we've so far that's not happened. So, so long as it's helping and it's going to help the other grow, then we're all for it. We'll find a way to make it happen. How old, how old are your kids? 10 and 12. 10 and 12. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's uh yeah, so you got all you yeah. got all sorts of yeah, life they, experience. Yeah. And they're in a lot of activities and things like that, but do you feel like young? Do you feel like you have a ten and twelve <laughs> not saying you're old. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, no. But but honestly, um you probably act younger and feel younger than people your age. Would you say that's a true statement or I don't know, I don't pay attention. I don't pay attention to how other people might act. How do they act? Uh, stressed out, uh, busy, but not okay with it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm just making assumptions. <laughs> but uh, but really, I mean, honestly, I do see a, a little bit of a trend with like people getting more bitter as they age. They do. And it, maybe it's their aches and pains and maybe... Yeah. Yeah, but, and, I, and I also feel like sometimes they feel like they haven't done enough or they haven't accomplished enough or they haven't made enough of an impact or something like that and they start getting bitter. Yeah, yeah. I know. What can you do? They need to let it go or fix it. Do something. Yeah, address it. Yeah. that's That's been huge for me is just like, yeah, just address it. Get yeah. it out. Talk about it. This is like things that... Uh, traumatic things that you just like never unpack I feel Mm -hmm. like and I think that's important it's been even if it's just something like you know you unpacked it but then like now you can talk about it with your significant other or something like that right but um, that's been been just getting it in the narrative so you can kind of acknowledge it and move past it get over it yeah yeah Yeah, exactly yeah and you know it's um, David and I our schedules are very complex and we have to link them up so we know where we what we're doing and we don't leave a kid somewhere but um i'm happy and i've ever been so which is not i mean that's kind of why i said that it's like that's not maybe typical yeah right it's for people to and yes there are exceptions but like you know, divorce rates and things you could look at tons of stats and be like yeah, as people age something happens where people get more negative or yeah physically unwell yeah yeah so well a relationship, you have to take care of yourself. You have to take care, make sure that you're also taking care of the other person and not neglecting them. Um, but if you're not taking care of yourself in a way that makes sense, and not just your body, but most especially your mind and your emotions, right? You're gonna end up a jerk. Yeah. And if you're, you're gonna end up a jerk to other people. And how we talk to them and how we treat them every day matters continually like are you acknowledging them every day their existence their happiness how they feel their successes that's like the the mis- mystery variable on children for me it's like th- something that 
Well, that guy that was just on my podcast has just got his master's thesis, Thurman Story, and I was just like, dude, you got to tell me what what your consciousness does when you have your kid, Mm because he had his kid like three days after being on the podcast. Mm -hmm. But everybody like reports this sort of, um, and and also people have been married for a long, and I feel the same way about Cora, but it's just like a, uh, honestly, like this total... um, self like you you would put this person ahead of you and and they like you would do anything for them like i not having kids i can only imagine what that's like what it like what is that like like what is it like for like to have a kid or 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 is it is it comparable to your significant other and how you feel is it completely in a league of its own it depends how you treat your significant other so that that answer varies based on the relationship so, for some, you know, it's completely different because some people have terrible relationships, but it will only make, if you have a solid relationship, which you, of course, seem to, um, it will only make it better. But I'm not going to lie, for any kid, the first two years are horrible. So just prepare that, but then it gets better. Because for the first two years of any child, they're not very fulfilling back. <laughs> so they, and the first six to eight weeks are basically hell. Now, you, mothers aren't supposed to say this, you know, but it's the secret. It's horrible. But then it gets better, and they're fantastic. And then they just grow to become these versions of the two of you that are, like, phenomenal, right? And it's really hard times and scary times, but you have this that you're doing together, and that just brings the two of you closer if you have a strong relationship. And yeah, you, you, that thing matters more than you, and that's okay. It just, that's the way it's supposed to be. And it just makes you a higher being because you feel that. That's, that's a kind of, I'm fascinated with that. I'm like, what's that like? I want to, <laughs> that's a, the, the like most interesting X factor. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Because people report this kind of a, a change. No, the minute the kid comes out, you're like, oh, I mean, it just your whole body. Just like, yep, yeah, that's it. That's what I got to do from here on out. <sighs> that's, that's wild. Yeah. And then, and then you don't sleep. And that's how you're able to not sleep and, and do all that you have to do. Because that's, your body just automatically makes that happen. And I've like, I've wondered about this. I thought about this when I was a kid, but like your connection with your, with your children is like, you, like your blood runs in their vein. Yeah. Mm-hmm. David's blood runs in the veins too. And that's yeah. mm-hmm. that, well, great. You know, but like the, with the significant other, it's different in that regard. Mm-hmm. Hopefully mm-hmm. is that you, you don't like what, so it's like, yeah, it's just fascinating things. Yeah. So, and, and David is, a phenomenal father so that's why together you just grow closer because you see what the two of you do right to make that work and he's hilarious with the kids too and he's you know changed as many diapers as i did if, if not more so i have to comment on i think it's hilarious every time i see moss and olive in pictures <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't matter what like you guys are always like and they're like, like looking happy and excited and they're just like why am i such a preteen yeah. <laughs> but it's so fun it's so fun like moss at the um 
at the testing photo the other night. Somebody was like smiling. He was not going to smile for you. He was not ever going to smile for you. <laughs> but, you know, to each their own, I think it's hilarious. It's, uh, but it's like there's some realness there because everybody has a problem with some like fake smiling, I guess. I well, I, if it makes you feel bad, I did not smile until I was in my 30s. So. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It, it comes from a real place. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's it's funny. I'm like, I'm like, we should re- get him to like recreate that pitchfork photo. <laughs> yeah. Right? He'd do that for you. Oh, man. Yeah, things change over time. And I try to explain that too much. It's not going to, until it's time, it's not going to make a difference to him. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's, it, I think it's cute, honestly. I'm just <laughs> like, yeah, dude, keep not smiling in pictures. I think yeah. it's funny. But anyway. Well, um, so I guess let's go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, I, I guess I've hit my list of topics I wanted right. to pull you about. Um, is there anything, any, do you have a website? Do you have mm-hmm. a place where people could go read some of your public? I saw that you had tons of, uh, with like just different, research and publications yeah, you've done? I, gotta, I don't know. Maybe Anything you can to plug? look me up at... Where the heck would you look me up? I'm just going to text page done i noticed department. that well, uh, warnick he's got like, a whole resume on on a web page uh, you know my department i was like only list a couple and i was like jason warnick gets everything but mm. <laughs> yeah if you go to the atu department of english and world languages web yeah. page and under faculty do you work with paula i do yes. i need to have her on she uh She's she wonderful. comes to the gym and pablo yeah he's gonna be coming for a while but yeah, yeah. She's from Italy, mm-hmm. and I, I was. She was in the gym the other day. I was like, "Paul, what do you know about the Etruscans?" <laughs> and she was like, "All oh, from Tuscany." Uh, yeah. But oh, I, she's just such a sweet lady. She is. Um, she was. I saw her. I was walking the track at St. Mary's, and um, I saw her doing uh, like dumbbells and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, "She works very hard." Yeah. Before I was uh, director of college operations, I was director of composition, and yeah, I invented that role, and now that's what Paula does. Great. Yeah, yeah, she got it after I did. She has an interesting spelling of her name. It's like a, almost like a Portuguese spelling. Yeah. P-A-O-L-A, I think. Yeah. And she's she's amazing. She um, she works very, very hard, and she's great with her students, so she'd be very interesting to talk to. Yeah. Dr. Brucker's still the, the man around there? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. He's been, he's been the guy, like, the whole time. Since Moses went to tech. I see him, uh, which I haven't seen him because I, I just started my membership back up at St. Mary's, mm-hmm. and he—he's—it he, was in there all the time when he, I was like, you in know, school he and stuff. ran um, a five k every day, usually, and, and he bikes day. too, right? Yeah, he's yeah. That's how he's—he's he's much older than you think. Really? Wow. Yeah. Much older. Yeah. You ever see or hear anything from Dr. Richie? What's that guy doing? He retired. Yeah. You know what? He's very active on Facebook. You're not friends with him. I think I am. Uh, I think he I am. He posts a lot. Yeah. I'm, maybe I was. I don't know. I was at some point. I don't know if I still am. He was at the department Christmas party, and he brings everybody DVDs. It's so sweet. One time, I got the best paper in his uh, intro to film class, and he yeah. gave me like some DVD. I don't remember what it was. It was like yeah. a black and white silent film or yeah. something. But I was just like so happy that I'd got, because that was like the pinnacle of like, we would do so many papers in that class and he would always recognize like the top two papers. And give them Give them something. And I was just like, yes. <laughs> it was, I think, I think I wrote a paper on Sin City um, uh-uh. that, yeah. that when that had come out in like 2000, it came out in like 2004, I think. Yeah. But 
weird movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Dr. Claire, thanks so much for taking the time. Um, maybe well, I'll have to have David on, perhaps, if he would be willing to come and do that. I'll yeah. send him, I'm friends with him on Facebook now. So. Yeah. yeah, send him a message. I'm sure he'd love yeah. to. Yeah, I'll maybe just... Uh, harass him next time i see him at the gym all the time so yeah well thank you for having me all right signing off appreciate it all right bye